hello, hello, and welcome to this week's edition of What Did I Just Hear, a follow-along podcast for Trinity UMC's CrossConnect service. Before we can discuss what we heard from the sermon, first we have to hear the sermon. If you have already listened to this week's sermon, please feel free to skip ahead. Otherwise, please enjoy this clip from this Sunday's morning service. In the story, by the way, if you're following that book, uh, it's on page uh, 61. Today's stuff is on page 61. Um, If you're following in your Bibles, uh, it's on Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. If you know that story, you know that uh, Moses was minding his business out in the wilderness when God shows up in a burning bush that didn't burn up. It just was flaming. It wasn't a special effects. It was God. And God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. By the way, Moses had left Egypt because he was under a murder charge. Another story. Um, and I want you to go back there and lead my people, my people, out from slavery. Take on the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, and lead him here, this place where you are now. And if you know that story, you know that, that Moses eventually, after a lot of resistance, went back and did lead the people out with signs and miracles from God. Oh, it was great, very powerful, including the splitting of the, the sea so the Israelites could pass through on dry land, but then it closed back in so the army of Pharaoh could not follow them. And soon after, they do get to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to meet God and to hear God's instructions for the people. And that's where we pick up uh, Exodus 20. Uh, Here we go. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We're going down the 10, you see. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but um, 
when you were growing up and your parents laid down the law, commandments, rules, did you try to figure out if the rule was for you or for them? I was the third child, so nap time was very important. I wondered, is a nap time because I need it or because my parents need a break from me? Turns out it was both. I had kids. I understand. And right now, I'd like to officially apologize to all the naps I turned down. I'm sorry, guys. Come back. Come back. We'll, we'll get to know each other better. But it was kind of for them. It made me wonder about also legislatures that pass laws for whose benefit? For the benefit of the people or the benefit of whoever the benefactors for that politician are. You know, I'm, I'm a suspicious type. Somewhat cynical sometimes. Um, but God lays down these rules for us. These rules, by the way, are for all those who have been rescued by God, saved from freedom, saved intact. Would you include yourself in that number? I, I would. So these rules are for me and my guidance. God does this early. They've just gotten out of slavery and God is giving them these rules as a kind of a constitution. Now that we've established here, this is the way it's going to go. This is how we're going to do it. These are the consequences for being rescued from slavery. Is that you and I are in this together and this is how we're going to do life together. Um, actually, the metaphor that really has made sense to me is not a burden but a gift. This. Imagine you gathered a group of kids together on a hill, pretty steep hill. On the top was a plateau, not that big, but a plateau. And you said, okay, boys and girls, play. And you gave them a kickball, and you gave them a swing set, and you asked them to play. But they knew if they kicked the ball, it would go down the side of the hill. And they didn't want to go down there and just bring it back just to get it kicked. And they knew that if they swung on the swing sets, they might fall off the swing set, and they themselves would go down the hill. In a little while, they're huddled in the middle, afraid, right? But what if you erected a wall around that top of that mountain? Brick wall, secure. They knew that if they kicked the ball, it wouldn't go forever. They knew that they wouldn't roll down the hill. Pretty soon, they're playing with abandon, with joy, with excitement. That's what God intended these rules to be. Here are the limits, and they're a gift to you. Um, in fact, there's a psalm in the Bible that says, your laws are worth more than gold. Your laws are sweeter than honey. They're quite the gift. Um, except we keep trying to fudge a little bit on them. Uh, I've known a lot of people, and sometimes myself, uh, to say, well, those rules were made for other people. Uh, not for me, because I'm special. And so I'll, I'll ask for their, you know, changes. In them. Um, I've talked to some, uh, veget some vegetarians, non-meat-eating -eat people, who know a lot of folks who said, you know, I'm a vegetarian also, but um, I just love bacon. 
And who doesn't? I mean, really. But I just love bacon, so that's my one exception. And it drives them crazy. Imagine declaring yourself something and then giving you an out clause. And usually I say, I understand all about that. <laughs> I'm about around a lot of people, including in the mirror, of people who claim Jesus. But they make exception for themselves. In fact, there's a name for that, flexitarians. It depends. It depends on whether I'm feeling like it or not. But we're stuck with this God. There was a chaplain at college, and a student he knew came in and plopped down and said, I got to tell you, I just don't believe in God anymore. And the chaplain made a, a guess and said, how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? Well, what's, that, what's that got to do with anything? No, I think, well, maybe, yeah, but, but what's that got to do? Well, we have a God who's created a wall in order to create delight and freedom from fear. And it's probably easier to discard that God than to alter your behavior. Uh, so we have these Ten Commandments as a gift from God, a shelter for us, protection. And they're not complicated. They're really put forth very simply. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, God, when he speaks to us, speaks in baby talk. You know kill. In fact, that's literally what the Hebrew says. You know kill. You know steal. You know covet. You know lie. You, you understand? You get it? God is saying. Um, the, um, that's called the 10. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything on earth or above earth or below earth. No idols whatsoever. You should not misuse, name, misuse the name of the Lord your God. A lot of us think you shouldn't cuss using God's name. That's true, okay. But really it means for nothing. You're just wrapping yourself up in God's name for nothing. Nothing in particular. Uh, MIT, some of the scholars at MIT did a research project on the internet, on Facebook. You know, there's Facebook groups. Um, and of the 10 most prominent Facebook groups that claim Christianity, have that label, nine of them are trolls. Data mines try to get information, data from you so they could sell it to someone else or maybe steal your idea. Really? What do you know about the third commandment <laughs> given to Moses? Carrying on the 10. Um, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This really set them apart from everybody. 
around them, which asks for you to work 24-7, especially your, you servants. And it set them apart as a distinct group of Sabbath keepers. Um, it was valuable to them. Um, now, of course, uh, we got over, we overkilled it. We, we, um, we had to define what Sabbath meant. When did Sabbath start exactly? And when did it end exactly? I had a relative that was giving up alcohol for Lent. And about halfway through, she called me up and says, exactly when is Lent over? Well, they had to answer those kind of questions. When was Sabbath? And what is work? Does work include this? Does it include that? You give it a, you know, a thousand years, and you've got a lot of rules about that. In fact, in time for Jesus, they had a rule that said healing someone miraculously was a work that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus did all the time. And he demanded from the people around him, said, you can't do a God thing on, God, on God's day, really? People? He asked one group, and, and they all looked at their sandals. And he got furious at them, the report. And he said, the Sabbath is made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. And yet, keeping the rule of the Sabbath kept them distinct from everyone else, gave them a day of rest, a day to focus on God, a day to pay attention to God and to one another. The rabbi said, it's true that the Jews kept the Sabbath, but more, the Sabbath kept the Jews. You get that? They kept the Jews, Jews. It made me wonder this week, what keeps Christians Christian? What do we do or don't do that makes us distinct from the culture around us? So much so that's obvious to us. We're not parading around, but it's obvious to us. And it's keeping us Christians Christian. I'd love to hear your ideas about that. Um, another... Um, Let's finish. The, the, the. Honor your father and mother. You know kill. <laughs> you know commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false witness in court or other places. And don't covet your neighbor's house or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Someone has said that all the laws are elaborations of the first one. If the Lord your God, if the Lord is your God, then nothing else is your God. Nothing else has say over your life. You're not going to sacrifice this in order to get something else that you think is more valuable. If the Lord is your God, then work is not your God, right? If the Lord is your God, then sex is not your God. If the Lord is your God, then stuff, like stuff your neighbor has, is not your God. Work is not your God. You'll rest. You'll reclaim and be reclaimed. Some people 
who approached the Ten Commandments said, feel like it's old. They're old. Yes, they are. You know, thousands of years old. Are they out of date? Really? Which one would you kick out? Which one do you think if we kick it out, it's not going to affect who we are as a people? What do you think? Uh, someone would say maybe that idol making, we don't build statues anymore, idols. You haven't obviously been outside the Tuscaloosa Stadium where the national championship coaches statues are. Do people worship that? I saw flowers left at the base of one. Was that an act of worship? No, probably not. Do we, but do we do have idols other kinds of ways? Idols in our hands, in our pockets, in our purses. Maybe mostly in our hand, <laughs> you know. Uh, something I rely on, something I turn to for guidance. Do I turn to God for guidance? and information, and wisdom, and truth, more than I turned to my phone for that sort of thing. Phone's a good thing. I hope you don't, don't, hope I don't lose my phone. Don't take it away. But is it a substitute for someone I should go to for guidance, and wisdom, and truth? What about work? Is work where you get your self-justification, your worth, or does God tell you what you're worth? Does value from other people, their likes or um, their comments on our blogs or, or whatever, is that what I'm looking for? Attaboys. Is that my idol? I've seen a lot of people do a lot of weird stuff for attaboys. You have too. It was immediately relevant also to the people right then. And see, Moses is up on a hill, mountain, and the people are down below, and he's been gone a long time, uncomfortably long time. They've been looking at each other, saying, you know, what? And so they go to the second-hand guy, the second banana in the group. Aaron, have you ever had the boss away and then people turn to you? Feels somewhat good, doesn't it? And scary. And they said, build us an idol. Build us a God. We're going to go back to normal. Back to normal for them meant going back to the Egyptian way of doing things. And the Egyptians always had a something you could hold. A God you could see. And it comforted them. And it gave them a focus. So we need that. We need comfort from an idol. And so Aaron asked them all to pull off their earrings and stuff like that, and he melted all the gold and shaped it like a cow. Now, later on, he would tell Moses, I just melted the gold, and it came out looking like a cow. I'm not making that up. That's in the Bible. And a cow was exactly what an Egyptian god looked like, one of the Egyptian gods. And it's exactly like what one of the gods in the promised land from the people there looked like. It was no accident. And they began to worship that idol, dancing and celebrating and stuff like that. 
it, it made it, see, Moses had this experience of God in a burning bush and a lot of encounters with smoke and clouds and fire and stuff like that. And, but they wanted a God they could feel, they could hold, not one in, you know, in the burning bush kind of thing. They wanted, in other words, they were saying, a God in the hand is worth two in the bush. This is your cue to moan. Oh, that's a little bit better. That's a little bit better. That's what puns are supposed to produce. But also we're praying that it also means that you'll rem you and I will remember it. Am I preferring a God in the hand, whatever's in my hand, to a God in the bush, the mysterious, evasive presence? I can't put my finger on him. I can't predict him. but it's there in a powerful way. Is that what I'm preferring? Um, maybe some of you, all of you, most have picked up a piece of, of kind of gold-looking things. It's fake. It's reminding us of what they call pyrite. Fool's gold. By the way, I wonder why they call it fool's gold. Maybe they should name other things. <laughs> Fool this and fool that. Might give us a little heads up on that, right? Fool's gold, worthless. Well, actually, you can get some pennies off of it. But it's not like gold. But I remember finding some fool's gold as a scout out by a river, getting real excited about it. It was bright and shiny. Remember, um, some of you remember when you have little kids and they're fussy, you pull out the keys and you shake them. Kids will go after anything bright and shiny, right? Only kids do that, though. Adults don't go after bright and shiny things like cars or, 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 or phones or computers or TVs. Or, we, we don't do that sort of thing. Okay? Fool's gold. Worthless. Substitute for the real thing. It doesn't, whatever it is, it doesn't heal us. It doesn't free us. It doesn't save us. Wherever we work will not save us. It's a good thing, though. But it will not save us. Whatever we put, substance we put in our body, we've taught ourselves it will relieve us. It won't heal us. It won't give us hope. It won't save us. Sex is fun. It won't heal us. It won't save us. It's not our God. Neither is the phone or anything else. When you look at the rules of God, the limits of God, do you see it as a burden? God just doesn't want us to have fun. Or do you see as a gift? This is when you can really have fun. This is when you can, it's a wall around your activities where you can rejoice and celebrate and play with abandonment. Is the gift of God, the laws of God, sweet like honey? Or is it a burden? I want you to, if you have this, pull it out and hold it. 
about what would this be for you? What substitute for God? What sure thing that God is a little bit more vague about? Or what is an idol for you? It could be massive and life-altering, or it could be just a tiny thing you regularly go. A story you have in your head, that fantasy story where the, the argument you had with your mom 15 years ago turns out different. It could be a desire of your heart for praise and for acclaim and for notoriety that keeps doing a, a job on you. It could be just loyalty. I'm loyal to this. I'm not as loyal to God. We want to give you a chance today to give it up. It's an old Methodist wisdom. Move the body forward. That's why we come forward for communion. Move the body forward and your soul ends up catching up on it. The revival technique. What I'm going to suggest today is that we move our bodies forward and take this and leave it here. You can leave it on the steps. You can leave it on the sides over here and have a prayer. Lord God, I, I don't even fully understand what role this plays in my life. But it's not you. I don't necessarily maybe need to get it out of my life, but I need to move it down on the rolls. I'm, you're supposed to be number one. You're supposed to be it. Take the place of this thing. Help me to give up this thing in its place. It's, it doesn't own me. You do. We're going to take some moment, some time to do that uh, for you to come forward and, and have a, a prayer. Uh, a time up here. We're going to give you all the time you need. Uh, it might take you a little while to come up with it, what it is. It could be that you'll come up with it when you lay it down. You go, oh, <laughs> well, that's, you know, have you ever done that? Couldn't make a decision between A and B, so you flip a coin, and midway in the air, you go, I hope it's heads. <laughs> and you realize you were pulling for heads. Sometimes it might not, what am I putting down? Is there anything in my life that really needs to be reduced from its status of God. Um, I urge you to come forward, take some time to do that, and then uh, we'll be led in music after that. Uh, come, we're ready for you. Now that you've listened to the sermon, let's dive into this week's episode. Today we're tackling Mitchell's October 10th CrossConnect sermon for chapter 5 of the story, which is New Commands and a New Covenant. We're going to start out with a 60-second sermon summary. Tyler, Tyler, take it away in 3, 2, 1, and go. All right, this is the first sermon that Mitchell did since we've started the story. It covers the second half of Exodus, mostly the Ten Commandments, which are, Thou shalt not have... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not uh, create false idols. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not covet other people's stuff. Uh, 
then Mitchell asked who are the rules made for, and he said that the rules are made for all the people who are saved by God, of which he counts himself a member of that, that group, and most Christians should. Um, then he made a kickball metaphor about playing kickball on top of a mountain, where if you don't have a fence up, then the ball's going to roll all the way down the hill. So sometimes you need to have rules to keep the game in play. Uh, then he said that uh, Martin Luther... Uh, said that God uses baby talk when he talks to us and that the the commandments are actually written out in Hebrew as do not this, do not that. And uh, so... Good try, Tyler. It's a lot to cram into 60 seconds. John, let's see what you can do. Get started in three, two, one, and go. Yeah, so like Tyler said, this sermon was about the Ten Commandments, and we Mitchell reviewed the Ten Commandments and said that uh, command, you know rules and commandments can sometimes be for the ones receiving them and sometimes be for the ones that were making them. Uh, the, these are are for us and can, and can be seen as a gift, kind of like the uh, the kickball metaphor that Tyler was mentioning. Uh, and then he emphasized or mentioned that Martin Luther said that God speaks to us in baby talk, like you no know, kill is the way that the Hebrew actually translates. Um, a- after uh, going reviewing the ten, he emphasized that the Sabbath is part of being kind of set apart, the Israelite nation being set apart, and uh, that several of the commandments are intended to keep uh, the Israelites from having other gods. Uh, and, he, and he, you know, explained that a little bit more. And he then went on to say that the ten commandments may be old, but they're not outdated; they're still relevant. Uh, the idols simply take different forms now. Um, and then he tried to explain why the Israelites... <laughs> good try, John. It's a lot to cover, but good thing we've got the rest of the podcast. So uh, let's get started with a little bit bigger summary of what are the Ten, ten Commandments and what's the big deal. I think a lot of people uh, listening may have heard of the Ten Commandments, but let's give them a little more context if we can. All right, so Tyler has them written down. Who, who can name them without having, having them written down? So we can go around and do the... All right, yeah, let's see if we can, we can all get them. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, don't commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against their neighbor. You're cheating. You have it written down. I do have them all written down. I already named them. Uh, jealousy? Nope. Well, kind of. No other gods before me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't don't covet, but that's... Yeah, that's, that's what I was that's, thinking. That's, that's what you were saying? Is it my turn? Keep the Sabbath holy. That was going to be my next one. Ugh. There's there's ten of them. There's four of us, so we only have to do two and a half per person. I've already gotten my two. <laughs> oh man, I can't read upside down. Tyler's oh, handwriting. I can't think of any. He's looking at my cheat sheet. <laughs> uh, okay. No idols. Shall not bear false one. witness. We already said that one. All right, I'll, I'll just say the whole list again, just in case anybody missed them the first time. Uh, there are no other gods before me. You shall not create false idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. We missed our parents. Do not uh, steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet. Sorry, mom and dad. Yeah. All right. So uh, <laughs> I forgot the Lord's name in vain. No. All right. So that's an overview of the actual Ten Commandments. Uh, so maybe can we give a little more historical context of what they are and where they came from, and just kind of explain why why they matter. 
Yeah, so after the Israelites left Egypt, uh, at some point they find themselves uh, camped at the base of Mount Mount Sinai, I think. Yes. And uh, Moses goes up and is actually up there for a really long time, if I yeah, remember really right. Yeah, a long time. Like and, six weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the Israelites actually kind of freak out. And, Forty days. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll actually, I think, cover a little bit more about that next, next week, about kind of how they... Poorly. Yeah, they they don't do actually no no we talked just, about that this no, week yeah he no. gets to it right at the tail end of this sermon yeah so that uh, spoiler alert spoiler spoiler alert they 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 make an idol right after God has said hey hey guys uh, don't make idols they make an idol while Moses is still gone so they don't know it's against the <laughs> they rules haven't quite yet. gone uh, they couldn't figure that one out <laughs> yeah te- technicalities uh, uh, and in any case so uh, God gives Moses these ten commandments. <laughs> Fact, he actually broke the first set <laughs> because he was kind of mad. I've always thought mad. that was funny. Yeah. Is he does a lot of work to put together this tablet of here's what it is, and then he breaks it. Yeah. You but have 20 commandments. Now you have 10 <laughs> now commandments. Now you have 10. What were the, uh, but in any case... Not the, really. There were 10, and then he broke 10. them and got the same 10 again. There were not 20. In any case, so this is kind of like the foundational laws of, of, of the Israelite nation, and... Uh, you know, the you can generally kind of sum, or I've heard it said before that you can kind of summarize the first half. I don't know if it's five and five, but generally the first half as things sinning, ways to sin against God, and the second half of ways to sin against people. Yeah, that'd be four and then five through ten. The first four are all about God, or I guess if you count four as keep the Sabbath holy, so that's close, and then the, the other five are all about other people. And spoiler alert for the future, what's the most important Other commandment? The, oh, first, the first commandment. Yeah. Which Mitchell actually mentions in his sermon that um, many people have said that 2 through 10 are just variations on 1. So as a reminder, what was 1? There are no other gods before me. And that, that's kind of what he really circled most of the sermon around was how things get put in front of of him think we know we make gods out of out of other things right so i think some of the sermon was about uh idols that we make um so can we talk a little more about what does the term idol mean for people who are not as familiar with the church speak there's a literal definition of an idol and then there is what the the modern church kelly clarkson has not reuben stuttered (laughs) That's an American idol, John, <laughs> but good try. Um, there, there's a literal, literal definition of an idol, and then there's what the, the modern church has sort of come to, to believe as anything that you put in front of God is an idol. Um, but literally, an idol is like a, a physical thing that you, are, that you worship. So like a bronze statue that they would like bow a, down before. Like a melted down, you know, melted down golden cow statue. Yeah. Why, why do you use that as the as an example? It's just a random, non-specific example. It doesn't come from like Exodus twenty or anything. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it does. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> So I quickly Googled it, and then according to the Oxford um, Dictionary, it says, uh, 
The idol is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. Okay, that helps. So, but kind of what's changed over the years is the definition of the word worship. So, um, you know, people aren't like erecting cathedrals to like set an iPhone up at the altar and bow down to an iPhone. But like, Mitchell, have you seen their new place out there in well, Cupertino? I'm I'm not saying that Apple is not its own cathedral, but <laughs> I'm saying that there aren't there aren't like I mean, there's Apple stores, but you go in and buy the iPhone. You don't go in and like pray to the iPhone. So Mitchell brought up in his sermon, this is why we're talking about this, um, he, he asked the question, is, is your phone an idol? He, he pointed out that he, um, he often turns to his phone when he needs, when he needs information, including um, certain truths. And um, I, I was thinking about it long after he finished making his point. I mean, I, I hardly heard whatever came after that in the sermon because it, it got stuck in my mind. And um, and I, I turned to my wife after the service was over, and I told her, I don't think that the phone is an idol, because I might turn to the phone for information or for facts, but I don't turn to the phone for truth. Truth is different from facts. Indiana Jones taught me that. So, so what, do you, I mean, what do you mean by that? Because I think that is a, an, an easy thing to mess up. So what, what Indiana Jones says is that... Um, that in archaeology, archaeology is the search for fact. If you want truth, go down the hall to the philosophy class. Because truth, truth is all about, um, it's about the why, right? Fact is about the, the other questions, the, the how, the who, the where, the when. Those are facts. But why, facts, why is philosophical it's it's theoretical it's it's not tangible so i i don't think that the phone is an idol because i don't look to the phone for ultimate truths like i would the bible or if i you know if i turn to god in prayer that's that's my search for truth not is what what is the square root of pi like that's not truth that's fact so it's not an idol for you but that doesn't mean it's not an idol for other people yes okay so that that circles back to at the very end of the service. I don't think that either of us got to this in the sermon summary, but everybody had a little fool's gold nugget that they were handed before they came in. And we were all asked to place the nugget up at, at the altar and sort of lay down whatever our false idol was. I had a really difficult time coming up with one because he, he kind of laid out examples of what what your idol could be based on you know, different things that you could be doing to go against each of the Ten Commandments. And I was thinking about all ten of the commandments, and I I was like, okay, if I take this commandment literally instead of, like, the modern interpretation of this commandment, I don't know that I'm actually breaking any of Maybe keeping the Sabbath holy. Like, I, I frequently do work on the Sabbath. I don't, like, go into the office on the Sabbath, but, like, I do st- I do stuff that people would consider work, but I don't know that any of the other ones are like I'm I'm I don't steal I don't commit adultery I don't I don't lie I don't covet other people's stuff. I think stuff is cool. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, it'd be cool to have that, but I'm not like, oh man, I would totally kill my neighbor so I could steal his stuff. Like that's just that thought never crosses my mind. Your neighbor doesn't have very cool stuff, apparently. Well, 
Yeah, I, I live in a neighborhood full of old people, so. <laughs> but but to be fair, uh, I think Mitchell filled that out a little bit in the in the uh, in in the sermon when he kind of said that you know immediately after these were given and then some of the the laws that were given later that I think we're going to discuss here in a minute. Um, people started filling in those gaps because I think a lot of people have had that experience, right? Nobody goes, man, I'm not killing people. I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> but but keeping the Sabbath holy, there's there's some subjectivity there or no other gods before me. That seems pretty obvious, but, or, or maybe the idol thing. Idols, I think it's gets very subjective very quickly because I don't have any golden calves in my house, but I do wake up earlier for work than I do for church. It's a great example. Or uh, I know a lot of people who make a big deal about trying to uh, read a Bible verse or something every day, which is great. But they get up and they check their Facebook first, and then they read their Bible verse. And so for some people, there's concern that, like, oh, what am I prioritizing? Or what is more important to me? Um, and that's where some of the discussions about the current day meaning of what is an idol to you start to get a little bit more murky and uh, maybe interesting. And also, just again, going back to kind of what Tyler was talking about with like facts, like this is also these rules were given to a group of people who had just been, who just left their home. The amount of things they had to make idols out of, like they didn't have iPhones, they didn't have cars, they didn't even have houses. They so, had. So let's circle to that. What is, who were these rules for? Like, let's give a little more context for the listeners. So this is for. The Hebrew people who have just left, they've walked out of um, Egypt. They have, you know, as much as they could carry at this point. They've now crossed the Red Sea or Reed Sea at this point. The, you know, Egyptians are no longer chasing them. And they're now trying to go about for the first time as a nation, okay, what are our laws? Because up to this point, they have no laws. They have Egyptian laws. They don't have any anything that's really, you know... Israelite or Hebrew, the only rule that they had... It's not unique. Right, there's nothing that they had. The only thing they had was, we are God's chosen people. And prior to this, that didn't really have a whole lot other than we are God's chosen people. And and to tack on to that, a a big aspect of this is this is the first time any set of standard rules and regulations had ever been really written down. Up to that point, it had all been an oral tradition. For, For what it's worth... Uh, traditionally speaking, uh, uh, Moses is credited with having written down the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, uh, and so uh, you know up till that, up till um, up until then, you had oral traditions, word of mouth, generational uh, information, and we've all played telephone. We know how that that happens. So having a you know okay, we hear it straight from the mouth of God. We have it written down. Here are the rules. It's no longer, well, my grandpappy said this. Right. It, it is, okay, here they are. Let's, let's abide by these. And if you're ever not sure, you can go back and check. Or if you've yeah. forgotten, you can go back and check. Although I always think it's ironic that the, the first set, the first time someone tried to write down the rules, they got broken. Literally. They literally, <laughs> literally broke, broke the rules. The rules. <laughs> uh, but, but then... You know, for, for what it's worth, uh, because I think we'll, we'll skip this before the next chapter, is, you know, Ten Commandments, there, there leaves a lot to be, to be figured out, uh, you know, so, after that. So, yeah, from there, a lot of people may look 
from the outside looking in, having heard about Christianity and the Old Testament or old school Christianity, be like, I feel like there were a lot of rules. And so how do we get from 10 commandments that are basically don't kill people, don't steal, don't have other gods, to aren't there a lot of rules? Yeah, so... I mean, I, I think the number is 630. I'd, I'd have to double it's check. It's 613. Oh, uh, well, I was close. Lucky 13. I was close. Uh, our, you know, over the next, you know, the, the, the remainder of the book of Exodus and then Leviticus and Numbers, uh, there, there are, you know, another 603 rules laid out along with penalties for breaking all of them. Which, to, again, a, a certain extent, makes sense that, okay, we started a new society we camp with 10 as the ground rule but as time marches on you there are obviously situations that come up that oh well we needed a rule for that or we needed a rule for that just like any situation you don't need a rule for it until somebody breaks it and then everyone goes wait a second that doesn't work we don't want to allow that it reminds me of another small nation that could a nation called america where there were only 10 rules at the beginning, and now there are so many more than 10 rules. Probably more than 613. I, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. That's just definitely, the code. Definitely more than 613. Definitely. So what was in those other 603 other than just more rules? So, I mean, there were lots of rules around, you know, temple conduct, what you do when you're going into the tabernacle, and, and then a food. lot, truly, yeah, food around was food huge. that was huge around, you know, hygiene and health and things that aren't, you know, readily apparent. I mean, so one of the more random ones that I, I remember is, uh, like, not eating... Well, everybody it, knows you can't eat bacon. Yes. That's one of them, because pigs are unclean, right? Animals with, with hooven... Cloven, cloven hooves. Yep. So from a present-day viewpoint of looking at it, a lot of those were more about health and safety, right? That wouldn't have been readily yeah. apparent to And they're not specifically religious laws. They're, they're for a society. They're for a nation of people. They're don't, not about worship. Don't eat anything. this. It might kill you. Right. right. You don't realize it might kill you, but we have learned <laughs> from all of these other people that did try to eat it that right. it might and kill you. And if you read through it, they're very... They're very specific on, you know, being physically clean and spiritually clean. And there's some crossover between the two. Like if you're sometimes physically unclean makes you spiritually unclean. And then there's, you know... Tell that to John the Baptist. Right. Well, he, he washed a lot of them. Can you explain a little bit more on the idea of physically unclean versus spiritually unclean? Like what it, or even just unclean? What does that mean in this context? Dirty. <laughs> so like spiritually unclean being like the way that you're seen before God. And it's, it's very hard for like the modern culture to th- think about it from that way, even from a Christian culture, because the idea of being spiritually unclean right now we don't really equate it so much to a physical, but like, I guess it would just be that you're not right with God currently. It would be a good way that people would talk about it nowadays. Like, are you right with God? You've probably heard that, you know, in a lot of Southern caricatures. Um, but back then, like, it was very much connected to how physically clean you were. Like, a, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff with, like, had you been around 
you know, were you a pig farmer? If you were a pig farmer, even if you didn't eat the pigs, you still had to go and have yourself cleansed a certain number of times to be, quote-unquote, spiritually clean, even though you didn't eat the pigs. Makes sense. So how much of these are applicable today? Do these all still matter? Are we all in trouble because we eat bacon? Like, why is it that some people seem to not care as much about some of these versus others. No, we we definitely can eat bacon. Literally, thank God for that. Uh, I believe I believe Peter was told that in the book of Acts. Um, but I, I think more to the, the the broader point of of Christianity. You know, fast forward a couple thousand years to to New Testament it is uh, the or the, maybe the beauty of Christianity is that we've kind of gotten away from the legalism uh, that that just surrounded Judaism, uh, the don't do this, don't do that, or, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And we are, have entered into this, uh, you know, the churchy way would be provenient grace, gr- you know, mm-hmm. forgiveness that has so been you given. you have a lot of explaining to do that. Yes, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, Big so words. Pr- provenient came before. Grace that was given to you before you did something, um, and uh, grace being, uh, 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 for lack of a better way to put it on the spot, you you were forgiven for having, you, you're given grace. You, you've, I don't really know how to explain that well. So you were forgiven for something before you even did that something wrong. Yeah, and it's all about the relationship that you have with with God and, and, and with Christ. And and again, we're we're jumping about two thousand years ahead of where we are in the story. But that's that's kind of the difference. Is if you are in this relationship, you want to do what makes the person or the entity in, you're in the relationship with happy. And that's yeah. that's where we you know why we still you know choose to do quote good uh, rather than quote just following a set of laws that. God gave to Moses in some desert somewhere. And going back to like our earlier conversation, so you have to think about from a Christian standpoint, and this is where Paul was, you know, you can say divinely told or brilliant, just how, but he looked at Christianity not necessarily as a nation, but as a, a movement within a nation. So unlike, you know, the Hebrews who were having to build their own, you know, nation, the Christians of the time lived you know, under Roman oppression, like the, the, the rule of law, as far as a society went, was set. That was not something you needed to worry about. The rule of being a Christian was what was more important from Paul's standpoint. So that gets into probably my last question, which was, do we as citizens of America care about these rules that were put in place for a nation thousands of years ago? So do those rules still apply to us? Do you mean the Levitical law, or do you mean the Ten Commandments? Yes. Both, either. Do any of them apply? Do all of them apply? Uh, obviously, the Ten Commandments apply. They're, they're at least six of them are, like, universal, um, <laughs> even even outside of, of Christian or, or Judaism. I don't have freedom in Christ to kill people? That Yeah, no, sorry. Uh. You, <laughs> no. Uh, spoiler: well, I mean, Crusades, not not, not so much idea. a good thing. <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot of societies like worldwide where you're not supposed to honor your father and mother, or you're or you are allowed to murder, or you are allowed to commit adultery, or you are allowed to steal, or you are allowed to lie in court, or you are allowed to you know 
rip off your neighbor. Like the, those things are all universal. And then the the first four things are are universal to all Christians and um, and Jews, honestly. Um, but the Levitical law is all sort of man-made law that really more applied to the time and place. Um, and there are some some of the things that are written down there still apply today, but not not necessarily in the same way. Like, yes, pigs are still very unclean, but like once they are cleaned and then then butchered, like by the time the meat gets to you, it's clean. So like, we know how to cook it, right? Now. So like the health and safety laws, technology has just far surpassed what those laws were meant to do, which was keep people safe from themselves. FDA beats Leviticus. There you go. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, one maybe one more quote that, that I thought was interesting that Mitchell brought up is uh, toward, toward the end of the service, uh, there was a, a point where you could, everybody had that little piece of fool's gold you could bring up, like Tyler mentioned, uh, to give away some worthless, you know, piece or false idol or what, whatever the case may be. And, uh, he, he made a great quote that said something to the tune of move the body forward and the soul will catch up. And I thought that was, that was interesting. And I think there's maybe something to be said for, uh, you know, abiding by some, you know, laws beyond just the 10 commandments. Uh, I, I don't know if that would fall strictly in line with, with uh, Levitical law, but, but if you're in keeping with, with, you know this this Christian prevenient grace we were just talking about, and you don't really know how to how to get there, how to how to own that. Then you know, well, we'll, we'll do good, do what you can, move the body forward, and the, and the soul will catch up. Keep trying to do good, and maybe eventually you'll be good. I like that because that's really all we can all do is try to do good, keep moving forward, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we get there. Uh, as part of that. I'm going to have a circle back to uh, something that I meant to uh, bring up earlier and we didn't really get to. Yeah, we sort of teased it towards the beginning, and that is um, when Moses was up on the mountain, all of the people were like, well, now what? And they they turned to Aaron, who was his brother, and they were like, build us an idol. And he was like, well, I don't want an angry mob to kill me, so yeah, let's everybody turn over your gold and we'll melt it down and... Then uh, after he melted it, he he told Moses when he came back from the mountain that I didn't mean to make it look like a calf. It just turned out that way. It just kind of looked like this random god that was I know, in Egypt. I know it looks exactly from. like an Egyptian god that we're all familiar with, but that was totally on accident. Whoops. So, yeah, they, they created a golden calf statue while, while Moses was receiving the commandments from God that specifically said, don't build statues to other gods or worship other gods. And it may be opening up a, a, a Pandora's box here, but, but, you know, it does beg the question. These people just watched, you know, a sea part and plagues and all this stuff. And, you know, why, why would they do that? And, that, I mean, that is kind of tough for me to wrap my mind around. But, but then Mitchell did have another great quote in the sermon, and he said, a god in the hand is worth two in the bush. Which I hate. Uh, a, I like that. A it's play a, on the burning bush, uh, bird in the hand, too. In the, yeah, I thought that was pretty good, and obviously it plays forward now if we were talking earlier about, you know, people worshiping their phones or whatever it is that they have or their pyrite or fool's gold or whatever. 
a God in the hand is worth two in the bush. They wanted to be able to hold something rather than, oh, yeah, I remember that time God did that thing that I think I remember. And I think that's pretty applicable for us today. It's easy to see things that are concretely in front of you that you can touch. It's a lot harder to deal with the theoretical or the ephemeral or whatever, just things that are in theory there. It makes sense. But really, this this story is just like an introduction into the stupidity of the masses. Like we'll see, we'll see in the next chapter. Spoiler alert: they get dumber. <laughs> like they they become the least grateful people of all time over over the next forty years. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. Yeah. Before we go too far into that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up for this week, and uh, we'll we'll go into that some more next week. Uh, so you heard it here on What Did I Just Hear, uh, Trinity UMC podcast, where we talked about covenants, Levitical law, thank God for bacon, and the FDA beats Leviticus. We're going to wrap up with a benediction from Mitchell. Take care. We're not naive. We put it down. As Carrie said, we, we attempted to pick it back up. It'll be waiting for us. It'll be waiting for us, and it won't show up in, with horns and pitchfork. You know, it'll just be your friend, your old friend. But what also is waiting for us is God and God's power and God's love for who you are. As they say, God loves you just the way you are and loves you too much to leave you that way. God is seeking to free you, to celebrate and to liberate you from slavery. Allow God to do that. You know what grace means? Grace means gift. Amazing gift of God for you and for all those around you. Go forth to receive that gift and to share that gift with others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.